When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Dan Snow's History Hits. You join me at a time when I'm feeling a bit emotional. I've just, I've just received pictures and videos of my dad walking in, walking into a clinic Surrounded by volunteers and healthcare professionals, seeing to his every need, making sure he's comfortable and confident and administering the first COVID vaccine. It feels both very recently and also like a long time ago in March when I went around to mum and dad's house with a load of tuna and pasta and told them, that's it. No more going outside. We were locking down. And I'm so happy that we're getting towards the point at which we can see light at the end of the tunnel. I want to say a huge thank you to all the scientists and healthcare professionals involved in the creation and administration of this vaccine. This podcast is one of the classics from the archive. The wonderful Dr. Fern Riddell, she is a historian. Uh, she's written fantastic books about Victorian sex, uh, death in 10 minutes, about the political violence of the suffragette movement. Uh, she's been on TV she writes, she advises, she presents, she's a podcaster, she's everything. She's a great writer. Uh, and it's a, always a terrific pleasure to to hang out with her. She is here talking about the women's suffrage movement. It was this week in 1918 that women in Britain, or some women in Britain, were given the vote in national elections for the first time. They had to have property qualifications. They, they were of a certain age. It was a start of a process that would see women given political equality with men uh, over the next generation. If you want to get a history at .com slash shop, you get your fun Christmas present for anyone who loves history. Those difficult to buy for members of the family who all your problems are now solved and you can gift them tickets to live tour next year. You can gift them subscriptions to History Hit TV. It's all brilliant. I'm incredibly proud to say that History Hit TV has got the premiere of our Winter Truce documentary exclusively history, original content, of course, as so much of our content is. We filmed it over the last few months. We've got some of the best historians. We've uncover new archival material, uh, all about the, the, this remarkable Christmas truce of 1914. A drama documentary. Please go and check that out only on History Hit TV. If you use the code POD1, P-O-D-1, you get a month for free, and your second month just one pound, euro, dollar. I mean, it's just, you can basically watch this for free. It's sweet. And then we've got an audio version, extended interviews with some of those historians, some of the actors reading out the accounts on this podcast on the 23rd and 24th of December. So just super exciting. And all in all, feels feels like a seismic day so forgive my emotion everybody here is dr fern riddell enjoy fern thank you very much for coming on the podcast thank you dan good to have you on this time to talk about your fabulous book (laughs) 
I'm super excited. Tell everyone, it's such a cool premise. Tell everyone the, the idea behind this book. So my book is called Death in 10 Minutes, Kitty Marion, Arsonist, Activist and Suffragette. And it's the story of Kitty Marion, who was an incredible woman. We know so little about our women's history. And this is someone who links both the birth control movement and the fight for the vote, the two most important aspects of feminist history in the last 150 years. And Kitty was a German child immigrant. She was an actress in the music halls in England. And she found that she was kind of getting casting couch syndrome. And so she was being abused and assaulted by actors and managers. And she thought that was awful. And no one would listen to her. No one would change. The government wouldn't change. Politics wouldn't change. And at that moment, the suffragettes appeared. And she found this organisation that were really fighting for exactly what she was. How interesting that that's an example of probably lots of people's journey towards the suffrage movement. You know, I, I kind of think of it as a, a um, Jeffersonian um, Enlightenment philosophy kind of driving people to it. But actually, it's interesting you found an example of someone who, who's, who's experiencing the, the patriarchy, experiencing abuse day to day, and, and, it's the, and it's getting a vote that is actually a way of, of changing her own life and her own circumstances. Very much so. And I think we never talk about this with suffrage. We always think that all they ever wanted was the vote for kind of grand philosophical reasons. And for many women, it was that actually they were finding terrible abuse within their own lives, whether that was domestic or economic, and were trying to maintain their independence and maintain their right to work and be free and not be indentured to anyone, whether that was through marriage or through anything else. And the vote represented a way to represent their views, to have their voices heard and to make sure that legislation was in place to protect themselves. I mean, it's a great, it's a lovely example of of high politics and actual people's everyday lives. Very much so. But I think what was so surprising about this for me wasn't that I'd found a woman who was fighting for the things we're still fighting for today, but someone who was conducting a bombing and arson campaign. I'm going to come on to that. That is particularly <laughs> exciting. Can I ask how we know so much about her? We don't know anything about her. Um, she's been really only in occasional suffrage histories. She's been in a list of names of suffragettes. So, let me change the question. How do you know so much about her? How well, do we know about her circumstances <laughs> and her journey towards the suffrage movement? So Kitty, who was the, really the focus of my PhD, which I've been doing for a number of, which I had been doing for a number of years, And I was sitting in the archive at the Museum of London and I was working on the music halls and women and looking for how kind of how cool and amazing women were at that time in that they were absolutely on top of objectification and how to manipulate it for their own economic safety and security. And I was really fascinated by that. And I was sitting in the archive at the Museum of London and Beverly Cook, who's the senior curator there, brought in this two tight-bound manuscript and said, I've got this autobiography for you. It was written by a woman who was on the music halls but was also a suffragette. You might be interested. And I thought, ugh, I don't, I don't want this. I don't want the suffragettes. It feels like a trap as a young female historian to be working on that aspect of women's history. It feels like that's what I'm supposed to do and that's what we're supposed to be interested in. And I've never been interested in that because I've always had that kind of arrogance of someone who's grown up with all of those rights. I wasn't interested in how we got them. And I sat there with this manuscript and after about five pages, I couldn't leave and I've never had that experience before in, a, in, in all of the source material that I've worked on. And I've worked on some really cool things. But she was just this incredibly passionate, explosive voice 
who could write about her life and her world in a way that made you live it with her. So it's unpublished. Yes, until for, now. Forgotten, yep. hidden, lost mm-hmm. story. Yeah. Uh, so you, you've, you've explained on how she became, she got interested in the suffrage movement. What did she then, do, how did she contribute? I don't know if contribute is is a fair term, but she she became one of the... This really is the history that we don't know of suffrage. And for many of us, that history has been completely sanitised. It's been really just told as a history of women who marched or maybe chained themselves to railings or maybe broke a few windows. And the reality of what the WSPU, which is the Women's Social and Political Union, were actually doing at this time is vastly different This is the most dangerous terrorist organisation operating in the United Kingdom at this time, conducting the largest bombing and arson campaign that we have ever witnessed in our entire history. Now, would you ever think that that was the case with the suffragettes? No one does. No one knows that. And one of the joys and one of the things I became incredibly fascinated with was unpicking the reality and the scope and scale of this nationwide bombing and arson campaign, which was orchestrated by Christabel Pankhurst and her lieutenants. And, and, well, tell me about the scale. First, first of all, <laughs> what, why did they turn? Why did they create the biggest <laughs> arson and bombing campaign in, in the history of Britain? Why did they turn to those extreme methods? Well, between the 1860s and when we, got, when we started to get the vote in 1918, over 16,000 petitions came before government asking for women's suffrage. And none of them were heard, none of them were passed. So the fight for getting either universal enfranchisement, both working men and women and men and women, everyone the vote in our, dem- in our democracy, had been going for a really long time. And it had been a campaign of words, really passionate, very powerful words. Uh, Millicent Fawcett says, uh, courage calls to courage. You know, incredible kind of quotes and speeches and language. But it hadn't got anywhere. It had failed over and over again. And whichever government was in charge, lost interest, didn't think it was important, was worried that enfranchising women over working men wouldn't work, that you had to enfranchise working men first. And it just... It just wasn't going anywhere. And after 50 years of campaigning, Emmeline Pankhurst created the WSPU, whose motto were Deeds Not Words, because they had had enough of talking. And they knew in 1903 that something had to change. And within about five to ten years, they had begun and enacted and put in place their new campaign, which started with disrupting political meetings, sort of standing up and speaking when women weren't supposed to, to window smashing, to training themselves to railings, and then from 1912 onwards was the arson and bombing campaign because the government weren't listening. Over and over again, they they were rejecting bills. They were also very proudly claiming to have torpedoed um, bills for female franchise. So it was constantly shutting down any chance to give women the vote, to give anyone the vote other than the people that they wanted to have it. And do we need to think about this in the context of Irish nationalist violence, anarchist violence in Russia? I mean, talk, talk to me about the where this campaign of terrorism came from in, in the late 19th, early 20th century. Well, so that's really fascinating because no one's... This research is so new. I am the only living historian doing it. And we only have one single journal article in our entire historiography 
on suffragette violence, the extreme suffragette violence, which was written by C.J. Beerman um, about 15 to tw- 10 to 15 years ago. And nothing's been done before or since. So this is completely unknown. So we have a lot of questions that need to be looked at. And the interplay between Ireland and Russia is a fascinating one because we know that some of the suffragettes, Kitty herself, goes to see James Connolly speak and the very first suffragette serious, vicious, violent attack happens in Dublin when four English suffragettes are sent by Christabel Pankhurst over to Dublin to bomb and burn down a packed theatre, the Theatre Royal, in 1912, whilst Herbert Asquith is speaking. And earlier in the day, they chuck a hatchet at the MP John Redmond, who's the Irish MP, who's arguing for home rule there, because he'd refused to allow a clause for women's franchise to be included in his arguments for home rule. So there's actually a massive interplay between all of these civil rights movements and how they were all trying to fight to be heard. You know, you have to look at it in that every single civil rights movement that we have has had an extremist element. And the suffragettes are that for the women's movement. I'm with Dr. Fern Riddell. We're talking about suffragettes. did Hitler's sexuality shape his worldview? Why did the Black Death lead to the rise of the witch trials? And what are some of the sauciest scandals involving kings and queens at Hampton Court? I don't know about you, but this is the history I want to hear about. If you do too, then join me, Kate Lister, every Tuesday and Friday to find out the answers to all of these questions and more. Listen to Betwixt the Sheets, the history of sex scandal in society, wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by History Hit. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful. Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. And also remember, when you use a messaging app, they shrink the photos. You cannot print those out. You cannot blow them up. This is high-quality imagery going to one of the most important people in your life. The Aura app is super easy to set up. It takes about two minutes, and you're going to love it. There's free unlimited storage. Add unlimited photos and videos and invite as many people as you want to a frame. Right now, Aura has got a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift 
by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code DANSNOW at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. And this suffragette you're talking about is the extreme, she's on the extreme flank of the extremists. (laughs) Well, so Kitty is one of the leading, I call her Edwardian England's most dangerous woman, because she is one of the leading figures. And she sent, not only is she responsible for numerous attacks, but she's also sent across the country to help advise other branches of the WSPU in how to commit these arson bombing campaigns. And she burns down um, Lewis Harcourt's, who's the MP for Hastings. She burns down his house with a big arson attack. And that film of the aftermath is on Pathé on their website. And it's kind of the most incredible, if you want to get a sense of the scale of destruction, the burning, gutted, how huge mansion house that the women are responsible for is an incredible sight. And all of the people milling around, you can see it online. But Kitty is someone who is leaving pipe bombs from Manchester to Portsmouth, who's conducting um, burning down railway stations. I mean, to kind of get a sense of the violence, we're talking chemical attacks on post boxes, um, bowling greens, golf greens, the sending of chemicals in the post that when you open it, irritate your eyes, nose and throat. That's very that's intensely serious. And then we're talking bombs that the one that they send to the southeastern post office has enough nitroglycerin in to destroy the entire building and kill all 200 people inside. You know, these are huge things. And we've never understood that aspect of the suffrage movement. And Kitty's got a huge hand in it. She's also very close to Emily Wilding Davison, who we know very little about. And the research that I've done and what it it all brings together is that Emily Wilding Davison is actually the one responsible for the bombing of Lloyd George's cottage. That's good to hear. My great grandfather, <laughs> lucky to get away with his life. He, well, he wasn't there at the time, luckily. Well, that's the thing that I should ask about because we, we, there's a there's a perhaps a myth that, that there was suffragette violence, but they were very careful. They bombed empty houses there, and the, that they were committing arson against properties they need to be empty. It doesn't sound like that's true. It, it is. I would agree with you it's a myth, but it's a myth that the suffragettes themselves created. Christabel Pankhurst and Emmeline Pankhurst were very, were always gave these great speeches about how there was no threat to life and no harm to life. Well, that's very noble when you're not the person leaving the bombs, but when your followers are, and many of these are on timed devices, those empty houses at 1am that you sneak in to leave a bomb in, to leave an incendiary device to set a fire may not be empty three hours later. And I have certainly found reports of bombs on packed commuter trains that go off later down the line once the third-class carriage is empty. Well, it was packed at the time the bomb was left. And we know that many of the postmen who deal with the chemicals being sent through the post, which are often very flimsy vials of phosphorus, which is a chemical ideally designed that they will smash and break in the interaction of the post box itself and set everything and burst into flames because that's what phosphorus does once it needs air. And those postmen, once they, if they either find an unbroken vial and don't realise it in an envelope or are moving it into post bags and everything explodes, are covered in horrific burns. So this idea that we have that the suffragettes didn't hurt anyone is very much a myth of their own creation, and I would disagree. Have we got a figure for the number of people killed and maimed? There wasn't anyone killed, and uh, at least that I haven't found yet. But again, if you're arguing whether or not suffragette ideology killed anyone, 
Of course, we have Emily Wilding Davison, who sacrificed her life in the fight for the vote. So they were burning down houses Mm -hmm. and setting bombs, and just by chance, none of them killed anyone. I think we, when we're looking from 1912 to to the outbreak of the First World War, we're seeing an extreme escalation. So it starts out with maybe a couple of bomb attacks a month, a couple of sort of arson attacks across the year. Then throughout 1913, it becomes very extreme. In May alone, there are 52 attacks, including serious bombs and severe arson attacks You know, in one month alone. And that grows throughout 1913, grows into 1914 when we start to see the inclusion of guns being used by the suffragettes. And there's an amazing moment where Emmeline Pankhurst appears on a stage, I think in in Glasgow, it's up in Scotland, and she's been on the run from the police, she's there to speak, and the police are waiting outside to try and seize her. And she manages to find her way onto the stage, and the hall erupts in kind of a wild cheer, the policemen try and rush in. And as the policemen try and rush in from the side of the stage... Up stands a woman in a beautiful black evening gown who draws a gun and fires at the first policeman. And he falls back because as far as he is aware, that's a loaded gun that's gone off at him. It At that stage was fitted with a blank, but you're starting to see the guns being used. And when Jenny Baines, who's another suffragette who's, who's conducting the Arsenal bombing campaigns, when she's arrested for blowing up a railway carriage, I think in Yorkshire, with her husband and her son, at home is found another half-made bomb, a fully-made bomb, a loaded revolver and a loaded gun. So, to be honest, what we're seeing is the grand escalation of this campaign that, by pure blind luck, doesn't result in the death or serious injury of anyone by the outbreak of World War I. But if war hadn't happened, I really don't know where we would be. So let's let's ask the old A-level question. Um, what was the response of the British public to this escalation? Well, that's a really interesting one. And you see there were a lot of... There are some amazing kind of campaigns against the violence, obviously. And Emmeline Pankhurst states very clearly that the motivation for the violence is to terrorise the British public into forcing the government's hand. And she's very clear... That's what she wants to do. And the British public seem to kind of object very seriously to all of these. And the newspapers start to run weekly columns rounding up all of the violence across the country, what's happened and where. But there seems to be silence as far as the historical record is currently concerned with understanding what happens then. Because we've ignored suffrage violence, because there has been a determined campaign to sanitise this history and ignore what was happening, we don't have an understanding of people's reactions to it yet. We know that the suffragettes that Christabel was publishing in The Suffragette, which was her weekly magazine, double-page spreads of every single attack, including photographs that were taken underneath headlines like Reign of Terror. You know, she's not shying away from what's happening and she's wanting it. She's wanting to see it communicated to the British public, to scare, to intimidate, to draw people to her cause who feel as angry, as disenfranchised, are looking as much to become part of, of a civil war, which is what they're trying to cause, is what they believe in and what they state is happening. And we, we laugh, you know, when we look at the arguments of the suffragettes and the issues between people who think women should be equal and people who don't. And I don't mean women who think they should be equal against men. I don't mean that as a gender war. I mean this as a war of ideas. That is how it was. It was absolute warfare. I suppose it's the ultimate subversion of the feminine, uh, Edwardian feminine ideal, Mm. is saying 
No, we're, we're trying to. We're, we're not. We're, we're warriors, and we're trying to start a war. We're trying. This is violent revolution. Exactly that. And Christabel actually says exactly that. She's in Paris in 1913, and she states very clearly: if men use the, um, if men use bombs, that's called a glorious and heroic deed. Why shouldn't women use the same? We're fighting for revolution. So she's absolutely. They always are completely clear cut about what the violence is, what was happening, and why. And yet, in the last 90 years, we have forgotten this completely and the suffragettes have become nice women who chain themselves to railings and occasionally throw, you know, an odd stone. And the reality is far more exciting, far more violent, far more radical. And it's history that we should have because it tells us so much about where we are today. Now, I don't want to uh, ruin the book, which I'm sure you're <laughs> around, but let's talk about, let's come back to your story, Kitty. Uh, what, what's her, how does her journey go? So she has this kind of incredible life and she's an actress in the musicals. She, tries, she fights to try and get safety from women like her, doesn't get anywhere, joins the suffragette, becomes an arsonist and a bomber. And at the outbreak of war, because she's German by birth, even though by this point she spent the majority of her life in England... The government seizes on an opportunity to try and get rid of one of their most dangerous women by trying to deport her back to Germany, because by that point we were we were really driving out anyone who was uh, who was German, even British women who were married to German husbands. And so, if you're thinking kind of around London or any port city, that could be incredibly destructive. So she, they try to get rid of her and try and throw her out of Germany. There's an accusation that she's a spy and a whole investigation, which is really exciting. Um, and she's kind of escorted to Liverpool, escorted onto a boat, and she manages to get away instead to New York because that's another place that's arguing for suffrage and, and has a lot of kind of women's movements in it. And once in New York, there's kind of this moment of wilderness where she's alone and forgotten and abandoned and the New York suffragettes want nothing to do with her because she's a well-known violent militant and she kind of she kind of disappears for a year and a journalist finds her working as a maid in this big posh house in downtown New York and she's kind of regretting everything and sort of going oh but you know maybe maybe women shouldn't have the vote and that's not, you know, maybe everything, I'll just ignore it. And he kind of brings her back to life a bit. I don't know if it's because seeing her name in print was something to do with it, but she suddenly realises that this secret life she's built for herself is pointless and useless and it's not, it's not what she had committed to and what she wanted. So she joins the birth control movement with Margaret Sanger at that time and becomes the only person selling the birth control review on the streets What's fascinating is that Margaret Sanger's birth control campaign becomes Planned Parenthood very quickly. So that's a well-known name that a lot of people would recognise now as one of the leading birth control organisations in the world, in the country, in the US, across everywhere. So this is one woman who is in the, the foundation of two of our most important feminist movements, and no one knows her name. We should know her name like we know Emmeline Pankhurst's name or Margaret Sanger's name. And yet we don't. And I think that's because often when we're talking about women's history, they have to be perfect. They have to be idolised. They have to be idols for us. 
and Kitty because she's so complex and she's so flawed and she's talking about rights to sex, rights over your own body, rights to birth control, the freedom for women to have sex, the freedom for women not to be abused, to have very happy, healthy sex lives that don't mean marriage. And she wants to protect that through then an arson and bombing campaign. You know, this is this is someone that we have been taught not to, who's using behaviour we've been taught not to idolise. Well, actually, our, our heroes can be flawed. And knowing about them and listening to their stories as they tell them firsthand, I think helps change our society and our culture far more than pretending everything is perfect and that history should be comfortable. Provocative stuff, Fern. I love it. Give us the name of the book again. It's Death in Ten Minutes, Kitty Marion, Activist, Arsonist, Suffragette. Lovely. Edwardian Britain's most dangerous woman. <laughs> Good luck with it. Thank you, Dad. Hi, everybody. Just a quick message at the end of this podcast. I'm currently sheltering in a small, windswept building on a piece of rock in the Bristol Channel called Lundy. I'm here to make a podcast. I'm here enduring weather that frankly is apocalyptic because I want to get some great podcast material for you guys. In return, I've got a little tiny favour to ask. If you could go to wherever you get your podcasts, if you could give it a five-star rating, if you could share it, if you could give it a review, I really appreciate that. Then from the comfort of your own homes, you'll be doing me a massive favour. Then more people will listen to the podcast, we can do more and more ambitious things, and I can spend more of my time getting pummeled. Thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dan Snow's History. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of TV documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe. As a special gift, you can also get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use code DANSNOW at checkout. <laughs>